Hey, I'm Brian. I'm the minister at Harmony Christian Church, and thanks for clicking on our video. I hope this video is a blessing to you and whoever you might be watching it with today. If you'd like to find out more about us, you can go to harmonychurch.tv, and on there you can read about us and uh, see what we're doing. Uh, you can also go on there. You can do a donation if you'd like. You can do a one-time gift or set up recurring giving. If you'd like to mail us a donation, you can do that by mailing it to 7100 South Choctaw Road, Choctaw, Oklahoma, 73020. If you'd like to, you could, give us, you could give us a call at 405-391-7310. You can also find us on Facebook at at Choctaw HCC. Uh, anyway, uh, we hope that you check us out, and maybe we'll see you on a Sunday soon at 1030 on a Sunday morning in person. If not, I hope you really enjoyed this video. God bless. Let's talk about sin. Now, before you stop this video, but before you stop, just, just hear me out for just a second. You know, sin is something that we, we often talk about a lot, and maybe you've had some similar experiences to me. You know, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, sin was one of those things that was often talked about in terms of personal culpability, you know, personal culpability. And so, like, the question is, is what did you do wrong, right? What did you do wrong? And so, a lot of times, at least for me as a kid, what sin meant was, the way we talked about sin was, Sin was all those things like that you shouldn't be doing, like, you know, you shouldn't be drinking and you shouldn't be smoking and you shouldn't be chewing tobacco. And as a guy, you shouldn't have any earrings in your ear or you shouldn't have long hair and heaven forbid you got a tattoo. All those things or some combination of those were all signs that you were just a sinner bound for hell. But I would suggest to you that a lot of that was really just more about just cultural Christianity more than anything. But we all struggle with like this idea of like, just what is sin, right? But I'd suggest to you that maybe sin isn't so much about what did you do wrong as much as it's about just what was it that you just, what were you supposed to do that you just didn't do? James chapter 4 puts it like this. James chapter 4, verse 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Maybe as a parent you've done this, or maybe you can remember in your childhood, maybe you had this happen to you, but your parents would give you, like, the look. There was, like, some look that your parents would give you, and you just kind of knew, and you had this, like, like what? Like, what did I do? Because they're, they're looking at you, like, what did I do, right? Or maybe you had a boss that would do the same thing. They just kind of had this, this look that they would give you, and when they would give you this look, you would kind of go, like, what? Like, what did I do? And that was sort of the point, right? Like, there was something that you were supposed to be doing, and you didn't do it. And that's why you were getting the look, because you didn't do what, what it was that you were supposed to be doing. Jesus tells some stories that are kind of similar in this way. Like, you might be familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, there's this guy, he's going down, he's going to go somewhere, and he gets beat up, he gets mugged, he's just kind of laying there on the side of the road. And, and you know, you're probably familiar with the rest of the story, Several other people pass by. Nobody helps them. And then finally the Samaritan shows up. The Samaritan, this, this despised outcast, is the one who's the hero of the story, who takes care of this person who's in need and bandages them up and does all this and takes care of them and, and all that. And when we read that story, it kind of makes me wonder. I don't know if it makes you wonder, but how many times in my life, maybe how many times in your life, have we just walked past people in situations that, we kind of saw over there, like it was kind of obvious, like that person over there needed some assistance. They needed some help. And yet we just, we just didn't do anything. You know, what was I supposed to do? 
Well, exactly. You didn't do anything. Or there's another story that Jesus tells where there's a master who's going to go off on some trip for a while. And before he leaves, he leaves his, his servants with some kind of monetary gifts. They call them talents. And so he gives one servant five talents. He gives, another, he gives another servant three talents. He gives one servant one talent. And then he's gone for a while, and then he returns, and the master wants to hear about what the servants have been up to since he's been gone. And they give their little report, and then he comes down to the servant that just had one talent. And he's furious. He's so angry. In fact, he, in fact, he calls that servant wicked. All because of, like, what did I do? Well, Exactly. You were supposed to do something. You had one talent, and you just didn't do anything. You could have done something. You just didn't do anything. Jesus continues telling some stories like this. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, he tells this story. He says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, we might just sort of hold up and press pause there for a second. All those words that we just said, words like purple, fine linen, lived in luxury every day, these are all words that in Jesus' day people would have picked up on and go, oh, we kind of know the person you're talking about. This is somebody who could write a check for hundreds if not thousands of dollars and be fine. All the bills are paid. There's still food in the house. This guy's got plenty. This is a person who's got high status and he's in high society. This guy's doing just fine. He could, he could, he could delve out. He could, he could share and be just fine. And we're told that at his gate was laid a beggar by the name of Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. And send Lazarus to dip, the, 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 to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I'm in agony in this fire. So you might remember the rest of the story there is, is Father Abraham looks at this guy and he's like, sorry, can't help you. I can't, I can't do what you're asking me to do. That's not going to happen. And then furthermore, he, says, he reminds this guy, he says, you might just remember, remember Remember when you had all that fine linen and all that purple and all the luxury that you lived in? You had all these resources available to you, and you didn't help the person who was right there at your front gate. And the guy's like, well, I mean, what was I supposed to do? Well, exactly. You didn't do anything. You could have done something. You had the resources to do something, and you just didn't do anything. You know, sin has this way of, well, it just divides. It divides even ourselves. Like, we can divide ourselves into, well, I'm like this person over here, and I'm, and I'm this person over here. I, I, have my, I have my private sort of spiritual life, and then there's kind of like my life over here. And sin has this way of kind of dividing us up that way. It, it also divides us between us and other people. It divides us between us and like other groups. And it just has this way of just really leaving us alone and isolated. That's kind of what sin does. It just kind of disconnects us and, from all these things. 
But yet when we turn to God, when we find his forgiveness, we find his healing, it brings us back together. Not only as a person does it bring us back together and whole again, but it reconnects us with all the ways in which we've disconnected ourselves from those that are around us. And we find out like, wow, we, like, we really are in all of this together. When I was a kid, when I often thought about sin, it was like God seemed to be punishing like around every corner. You know, there was some sin that you would do, and then this bad thing happened to you, and that was because of, you know, sin. God was punishing you. But I suggest to you that maybe, as I, at least as I've kind of grown up and kind of understood some things, maybe it's not so much that God is punishing sin at every corner in our lives, as much as it is sin has its own consequences. When, when I fail, when I make a mistake, when there's a sin that is in my life, that has consequences. Sin is its own punishment. And maybe that's what's happening in my life more so than God trying to, like, step down on me in every kind of way. And so I think about it in my life, like, what are some ways in which I failed? What are the ways in which maybe I haven't stepped up or stepped out and pointed out things that I see happening all around me all the time? And I just didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I saw that person in need. I saw this person that was treated with some kind of injustice, and I just didn't say or do anything about it. And that has its own consequences. It has its own consequences. I could have done better. Often for me as a kid, when we talked about sin, sin was one of those things that like led to shame, right? You just kind of felt really bad about yourself, just didn't really feel good about much of anything. That's what sin was. That's what sin was all about. But I would submit to you that there's a difference between shame and guilt. There's a lady by the name of Bene Brown. Um, she does some wonderful work in this area about what shame is and how it operates and works in our lives and in our society. And, and she says that shame is that little voice. Shame is that little voice in our, in our heads that tells us that we are bad, is what she says, that we're bad, that we're messed up, that there's just something wrong about us that who we are, like at our core, shame would tell us that you're just a mess and you're broken and you're just wrong and you're bad. Guilt, on the other hand, is something different. I might feel some guilt because maybe there's a friend or a family member that maybe I haven't talked to in a while and I feel kind of guilty about that. And that guilt maybe spurs me on to send a text message or write a card or give a phone call. Guilt has a way of sort of spurring me on to want to do better. Shame says that I'm just bad, and that I'm wrong, and that I'm broken. Guilt, on the other hand, spurs me on. It prompts me to want to look for that. So, so, Christians, so Christians were made to move towards guilt. We were made to move towards guilt so that we could find healing and forgiveness. Shame doesn't have to define me. It doesn't have to define me because I am told that I am forgiven by Jesus. I'm told that I'm a child of God, and those things are the things that define me, not the fact that I've made mistakes. Those mistakes don't have to define me, and that's the difference between guilt and shame. So what are we supposed to do anyway? How are we supposed to handle it? Like, we all are incomplete. We all of us have made mistakes. All of us have blown it. I don't know of anybody who's saying, I'm totally crushing it. 
Like, I've just got this whole Jesus doing life with God thing. I've got it all figured out. Nobody's doing that. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, let's do something better than just not doing nothing. Here's a couple of things that I think we could do. I think one thing that we could do is we could start to live honestly. I mean, nobody's perfect, right? I mean, we all say that nobody's perfect. But, I mean, seriously, nobody is perfect. Nobody is perfect. As much as we might sit there and think, well, you know what? I'm doing better than them, and I'm doing better than them, and I'm doing better than them. But you've made your mistakes. And they've made their mistakes. Nobody's perfect. So let's pay attention to those mistakes. Let's take the opportunity to look at those mistakes and invite God in to those areas of our lives where we've made mistakes. Let's live honestly. I think another thing that we could do is I think another thing that we could do is we could examine our hearts. Examine our heart. Take a minute. Maybe when this video is over, just take a minute and just just for a moment think about what are some areas in my life that I could do better? Because that's what guilt is sort of prompting us to do. Like, how could I do this better? You know, I don't know of too many parents right now that aren't frustrated beyond belief. They're frustrated with, like, their kids and having to be home, and they're trying to, like, get their kids on the computers, and the whole thing is just frustrating because nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to be on the computer. They'd rather be at school, like hanging out with their friends. You would rather them be at school, hanging out with their friends. But instead, here we are, we're at home, and the whole thing is just frustrating. We've all made mistakes. There is no perfect scenario. Maybe, maybe I failed to give. Maybe I saw a need, and I just didn't do anything about it. I just failed to give. Maybe I, just, maybe I was just afraid to speak up. I saw in my family maybe or with your friends, there was somebody that had some kind of injustice done to them and nobody supported them. Nobody spoke up for them. Maybe we failed to do that. Maybe, maybe like me sometimes you, you fail to be an encourager. I mean, I'm here to tell you that there are so many people in your life, your kids, your grandkids, people that you work with, the people that you see at the store, I guarantee you, on the inside, they are dying to hear a word of encouragement. Somebody who looks at them and just says, you are made in the image of God. You are amazing. You are doing a great job as a mom or a dad. Like You're killing it. You're doing a great job. You, by the way you do life, you bring light and hope into the world. There are so many people around us just dying to hear a good word, a good word of encouragement. Maybe another thing we could do is we could pray. We could pray for action. Pray for action in our lives. How many times, maybe your life and my life, I don't know, you've been driving in your car, you're standing around at the store, maybe you're just like milling around the house and like you've, you have this sense that like there's this person I should call, there's this thing I should go do, 
there's this card that I should write. Whatever it is, like you just feel this prompting to go and do something, and then we guess it, and then we second guess it, then we like third and fourth guess it, and before you know it, we've talked ourselves out of it. Like, what if those promptings inside of us are motivating us to go and do something that God is asking us to do? You know, it wasn't too long ago that the only sports on TV that we could really watch was ESPN's special, The Last Dance, which was really all about, like, who's the greatest basketball player ever. That's really what it was trying to answer. It was about Michael Jordan and who's the greatest NBA player ever. Jesus tells us who the greatest is. Jesus says that the greatest among us are those that choose to serve. It's not your resume. It's not like these things that you've achieved in life. Jesus says the greatest, like the all-time greatest, are those that choose to serve. Maybe that could be us. Maybe that could be us. We could be the ones who serve. We could be the ones who not sit back and go, well, what could I do? I mean, I'm looking around and there's all these things in the world, and there's all these things that are happening. What could I do? Well, we could do something. We don't have to do just nothing. Maybe there's some other ways that we could respond. You know, as, as kids, I don't know if you ever had this happen. Maybe, you, maybe you've seen this with your kids, or maybe you had this happen to you when you were a kid. But you, you, you had this toy. Maybe your mom or dad gave you some toy, and you were sitting there. And it didn't take too long for your brother or sister to come along, and you could start fighting over the toy, right? And they're all angry. And then your parent would come over, and they would take the toy away. And they'd say, hey, look, this isn't your toy, and it's not your toy. It's my toy. I bought this thing. You didn't buy it. I bought it. And what I did was is I gave you this little gift for you to use for a while. And not only to use for a little while, but you can share it with somebody else. My hope and my prayer is this, is that maybe you and I might realize that we've all been given a great gift. We've all been given this great gift that Jesus Christ still changes lives. That the church still brings hope and light into the world. And we have this awesome gift to share. Might we be about the task of sharing that gift. Might we do better than just kind of getting a look and go, well, what do you want me to do? Well, exactly. Exactly. Just don't do nothing. God bless you. This is Isaiah chapter 45, starting in verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Peace be with you.